I get the privilege, my name's Ronnie, I'm one of the staff pastors, if I have not had the privilege of meeting you, and I got the privilege of coming up here as we close out this series on storytellers, the parables of Jesus. I love the parables, and if you if you've know me in the last several years, that I really love, that my favorite teaching style is to teach stories. Because I believe that's how we're be- the best learn is that when I'm studying scripture and I'm, and I'm meditating and I'm, I'm thinking through my, my daily devotions, how would I be in the story? I try to look at it from all angles because you, get, you gain so much more than just reading the text, but you have no context for it. And so being able to get into the, 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 the meat of the story and, and find out who these characters are. What's the culture? What's the history? What must have been happening at these di- different things, uh, these events that, that, would, that would spark a story from Jesus that has such powerful, impactful messages? And, and gosh, I think that we miss more than we get here in North America some 2,000 plus years later. And so I encourage you in your Bible reading to make it come alive by trying to just take small passages and really dig into putting yourself and immersing yourself into the text. Now today, I want to speak about the invitation to the banquet. It's a parable, actually, that's not taught on a lot. I did some research to find this. It's not one of the parables that, that is the most well-known as the, the Good Samaritan parable. You know, Pastor Steve and Pastor Shane, they take all the, you know, well-known, uh, easy-to-preach, you know, parables. I'm just kidding. But uh, they asked me because, you know, I, I, you know, the great banquet and they just recognize that I'm such a partier that I would be great. <laughs> you know, it's so anti my personality. I am not a party guy. I, I, you know, I've had people say, I feel bad I didn't invite you to my wedding or, or to my, my child's wedding. And I gotta be honest with you, you don't have to apologize. I look at it as a blessing, honestly. Because I don't dance, I don't do well in crowds, I'm not the fun, loving, uh, energetic, outspoken, I'm not, I'm not the Marlena. We had Marlena from one of our uh, churches here in town, and did you see how much energy that lady had? Holy mackerel. That's not me. I would rather just be in the background, sitting back, and then my wife going, well, how come you're just such a fuddy-duddy? Why don't you come, you know, dance with me? Why can't you you know, have more life. I'm just, I just don't get invited to, to parties and that's okay. <laughs> and a lot of you, you know, feel bad because nobody, let's be honest, if you were real, you don't want the pastor at the party anyways. Because you don't want me judging you and, and you don't want to have to change your behavior of, of what you're saying and what you're participating and doing in a party. So it works well for both of us that I just don't get that invitation. Well, Jesus gets invited. Jesus didn't turn down invitations. And so he gets invited to, to have meals and to, to go to parties and people's houses all the time. It could be a tax collector. It could, it, could be, it could be the Pharisees. It could be a prostitute. It could be his friends. It doesn't matter that Jesus always was going and being welcomed into these uh, homes and into these uh, feasts. And he actually got invited. His first miracle was at a wedding that he came in his ministry. And so a chief Pharisee invites him to his house for a dinner party. And, and while he's doing that, he's probably, like a Pharisee would, is they're, they're, they're doing it because they're trying to catch Jesus. They're not big fans of Jesus. Because they see that Jesus is constantly not following the laws in which they've given their life to adhering to. 
And so it's almost like a setup that they're inviting Jesus in and they come to a dinner and if you want to put yourself in the culture, it's, it's actually the dinner is held in a community at this Pharisee's house. It's actually in a courtyard, if you will. So you have all your guests around, but then you have people on the outskirts that can see and that are present among this. It's in a courtyard and they're coming and they're really coming to test Jesus. But it's so funny that as Jesus is always, you know, who doesn't want Jesus at their party? This Pharisee at the end of the party, at the end of this dinner, is probably regretting his decision of inviting Jesus. Because Jesus is going to offend every single person at the table, speaking truth and love into their life. He holds back nothing. And so Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to, uh, where we're going to be today. So let me just set the table for the topic of the message today. The rest of you guys will catch that later on your way home and go, oh, set the table, I get it. We're talking about, you know, it's a dinner party. This is where this takes place, around a table. Okay. Well, glad that you guys are awake. Hey, my name is Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors here at North Point. Welcome to North Point. Glad that you're here. So he's at Luke chapter 14. Let me just set the table for you. Let me, let me just say the picture. They invite Jesus. He's sitting at the table. And the very first thing that, that he's going to do is he's going to address the Pharisees at the table. And in chapter 14, verse 1, he, he, he talks about their, their, their pseudo-spirituality. And he addresses, he had already you know, healed people on the Sabbath. It is the Sabbath, and the, and the scripture says it's on the Sabbath that they're having this meal together in front of these people. And there's a man that has swollen limbs that's in this courtyard. And they're wondering what Jesus is going to do. And so Jesus asks a question, you know, can you not heal on the Sabbath? And they stay silent, and Jesus walks over, touches the man, and the man is healed. And he looks at him and says, now, which one of you would not heal on the Sabbath? If your cow or if your son fell into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not be the one to reach down and to rescue and pull them out? They're dumbfounded. They're silent. He's saying that even you guys break your own laws and the rules when it fits you. He then, turns, he then turns to his guests that are surrounding, sitting at this table, and he's gonna address their lack of humility. And, and he, he's gonna be pushing at a very real thing that we have to deal with, and that's our own humility and pride. Because every seat mattered around the table. And people were jockeying and positioning and probably getting early because they wanted to be at the most pristine seat, which is at the head of the table. We like to touch power. We like to be uh, 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 seen as important. And there were certain seats that, that represented that more than other seats. And Jesus goes, why would you think that it would be okay for you just to sit right here? How embarrassing would it be for you that afterwards, you know, that the, the host comes and sees a, a more distinguished, a more important person, and they come up to you and say, excuse me, can you get up and scoot down a little bit? How embarrassing. Would it not be more humble of a person just to accept and just say, hey, I'm happy to be at the table. I don't mind sitting at the end. And then how rewarding for the host to come to you and say, hey, no, we got a better seat for you. Come on up. He's questioning their, their lack of humility. 
Then he's going to go to his party host, and he's going to question the motives behind the people that he invited. And he, and he challenges them by saying, of course you invite the wealthy. Of course you uh, uh, invite the, the, the well-known people in this community to come to, the, to, to this dinner with me. But that's because they can pay you back. That's because they invite you. You invite them this week, they'll invite you next week. It's like this cliquish club, and what about the poor and the lame and the sick and those people that would never get invited because they couldn't return the favor and they couldn't invite you back? That's got to be insulting for the host. And just when you think that he's insulted and really stepped on all of his guests, he turns to this one that interrupted him regarding his mistaken assumption of his destiny. And that is the parable that we're going to camp out today. We're going to spend some time here. And so if you're taking notes, I want everyone to start on the same page so you don't get lost. And the first point is, is really what Jesus' whole entire ministry is all about. And that's this. Everyone is invited to the banquet. Jesus' entire ministry is is focused on everyone being included and invited to the banquet. First Timothy 2.4 says, God wants everyone to be saved and to know the whole truth. He wants everyone. Now at this point in the dinner, can you imagine it got a little awkward? Have you been at those dinner where somebody says something or tells a joke that's a little off color, a little, you know, um, over the line? Or somebody's retelling a story, and it's just like, ah, probably not the right environment. Anybody got family members that it's like, okay, let's see how long we can last before this goes off the rails. So you got to know it's a little tense and a little uncomfortable. And, and so this guy's going to be like, hey, let's uh, change the subject now, and let's, let's just talk about something that we can all agree on. We're all Jews. Let's talk about something that we can, that we can agree on. Oh, I know the resurrection. Luke 14, 15 says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said, Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. What a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. Now, it's important to understand some of the social customs of the day because Jesus is gonna address this and it's gonna be a little offensive. But the customs of the day is there would always be uh, multiple invitations, at least two invitations that went out. We know it today as like a save the date. You guys do save the dates before a wedding. You know, mark it on your calendar. And that would be the first invitation. And the invitation to save the date as we just know it, hey, mark it on your calendar or put it in your back of your mind or, or whatever it is so you remember it. It was the save the date for them. The first invitation was to get a yes or no, to get a commitment or non-commitment because it was really important for the party hosts to know how many people were gonna be there because the number of people dictated what type of meat was served and prepared and how much. And they don't have leftovers and refrigerators and stuff, and, you know. And so there's value in this in which that you gotta get the numbers if your yes means yes, your no means no to get an invitation out beforehand so you knew exactly who was going to be at the banquet. The second invitation came the day of the event. And, and, and that's when the servant showed up to the house to remind you, it's today. Today's the day. 
The food is being prepared. The decorations are being in place. We'll see you this evening. Get ready because the party's happening. Jesus said the invitation had been sent out by the host and everyone had been excited. They had agreed, these people had agreed to come. Nobody declined. And then the second invitation came and the servants showed up to their house and what began to happen? Megan wrote, read it a little earlier. Excuse, excuse, excuse. I can't make it. I can't come. Have you not experienced that in the past? When you're trying to get a head count for a wedding party or a dinner party and you send out a birthday party, you send out invitations and, and it's like this person didn't RSVP. We're horrible at RSVPing. Um, how about this? If you invite me somewhere, don't invite me to a party. I know you guys aren't going to. But just assume I'm coming because, you know, how many times it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot the RSVP the day of. And then it's like, oh, oh, yeah, I can't make it for that. That's insulting for somebody who's preparing. They, they, they use an invitation to invite you because for whatever reason, they, whether it be the value or the relationship or, 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 or whatever, they, kept, they invited you to come because they valued your presence. But the truth of the matter is, is they said, the first guy says that I bought a field. I gotta go see it, so please excuse me. Another man that I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way, my, my way to try them out, please excuse me, and still another man just got married uh, so I can't come. The truth of the matter is that nobody's buying a field without seeing it, right? I mean, does that make sense to you? I mean, we got a lot of farmers here, a lot of ag people that, that you, you want to go and you want to ex- see what you're purchasing and spending a lot of money on. Before there's a transaction in place, you're going to kind of look and see, oh, okay, yeah, this is the, now, what are the water? What's the water like? What, what kind of crops grow on this, you know? What, what's this land used for? What's the shape of the land in, in, in terms of how we look at all that? In fact, I took, I remember I, a few years ago, I had the privilege of going with a, with a farmer uh, to Kenya. And, his, thing, and his, his statement to me was, I just want to go and feel the dirt. Farmers can tell a lot by just feeling the dirt. By just getting their shoes dirty and kicking around to see what kind of things can grow. Lame excuse. The second one, nobody you know, would buy five yoke of oxen without first trying them out, seeing if they work together. The person with the best excuse, let's be honest, is the one that said, I just got married so I can't come. He probably said, yeah, I wanted to, but my wife said no. Right? How many guys have used that? I would have, but she just would rather not. Sorry. But the reality is, is that's a lame excuse because as you, you understand the culture is that, that, they, the, that he would just got married meant that he'd been married within the last year, 12 months. Because if he had just gotten married in his community there, they would have been throwing the party and the feast would have been around them. So in their culture of their time, they would get married there. Their honeymoon would last an entire year in which they got excused from work and other things while they became husband and wife and figured out how to do life together. And so the reality is is they've been married for at least several months because there's no, so he just got married. He just didn't want to go. Lame excuse. But we all make them. So Jesus is not just telling a parable. 
He's not just creating a story to entertain these dinner guests. He's driving home a truth that was taking place right before their very eyes. The invitation had been sent out. God was going to throw a party, and it would be a feast unlike any other had been experienced. You know, this is prophesied, and I don't have it in your notes, but I, I encourage you just to write down in the corner, Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. Isaiah prophesied about the great banquet that was coming, in which the Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people. All of Israel looked forward to the day when the Lord would announce the time had come for the great feast, for the banquet. They had already said yes in their covenant, in their commitment. The second invitation went out. You guys know what that was? It was God sending his son Jesus, saying the time is now. Come. Today is the day. Luke 4 Jesus is starting his ministry. He goes back to Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue, and because of his position, they hand him the scroll, and he, began, he gets to do the reading of the day, and he pulls up, and he reads, and guess what the reading is of the day? It's the Isaiah, and it's the prophecy of the coming Messiah, and he reads it, and everyone, and then he, he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, he goes and sits down, and everyone's staring at him. And then Jesus does the mic drop of all mic drops when he says, today, the scripture is fulfilled and you're hearing these words. The invitation that God had was through his son that he had sent. Now the religious big shots and the scribes and the Pharisees, those who knew that they were good with God because they checked all those boxes and followed all those laws and their holiness checklist that they all kept, they didn't like that one bit. They rejected everything that Jesus had to say and everything that he represented. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to stop his name from being spoken through society. And when Jesus invited them to the banquet, they said, no, sorry. We're not gonna come. And they made excuses. Excuses that, that we often make today. Excuses like, well, 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 he eats with tax collectors and sinners. He associates with those people that are sinners. He's just Joseph's son. He's nothing more than a carpenter's boy. Nothing good ever came from Nazareth. He heals people on the Sabbath was another excuse that they used. I love this one. They made the excuse that, man, in his own hygiene is that him and his disciples, they didn't even wash their hands before they eat. They're filthy, they're dirty. And just because people refuse the invitation doesn't mean that God's gonna cancel the party. He's saying the invitation's for everyone. And that's what he's saying through this parable. You guys have rejected these, these people that should have known, that already said yes, that already recognized that there's a party and a feast and a banquet now I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna show you that I'm inviting all people. The blind, the poor, the lame, the cripple. Everyone's welcome to this feast. Everyone's welcome to this banquet. Everyone's welcome to come to God. John 4, one of my favorite passages, is Jesus in, is, is he makes a detour on his trip and he goes to Samaria. 
a place where you know that Jesus would never go. The Jews never would, would think to, 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 to plant themselves. They would go around rather than go through because they detested these people. And Jesus has a conversation with a woman at the well. Because the gospel is for all people. All people. And throughout scripture you see Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. And, and, we, and we think of that maybe as that saying, everybody, hey, listen up. But no, he's calling people to, to be careful to listen because he who has ears, that's every person, that's every age, that's every ethnicity, that's every language, that's every occupation. Hear the word of God, accept the invitation that he puts to us so freely. But many of us, we just make excuses. We make excuses all the time of why we don't surrender our lives and why we could miss it if we're not careful because as many of the Pharisees thought that they were checking the boxes, but they're gonna miss the invitation. It's, it's more than just church attendance. It's not church attendance. It's not the ministries that you plug into, that you, that you get involved with because you're serving, because you're giving. It's not the amount of money that you give in your tithes. It's opening up your life and just giving him the complete you. That's what he asked for. Revelations prophesies and tells us of the great feast that is coming. Revelations 19, six through nine, it's not on your outline, but write this down and go look. It says, man, there is a great feast coming for all, for the bride, for the lamb. We're being prepared, but we make excuses. We justify. And so I wanna go through quickly the four excuses that we make, real quick. The first excuse is I don't have time for this. I'm gonna blow through these because they're gonna be excuses that many of us have used on a regular basis. I don't have time for this. The guy's preparing a banquet, he invites it, you, you, you said yes, you come, everything's ready, but all of a sudden, you don't have time. You're too busy with what? With your own agenda? We think that I don't, we don't need the gospel because I'm doing okay. I have other things that are pressing for my time. We are an over-programmed society and we justify it in so many ways and, and it affects our relationship with Jesus because it's like I don't have time and I'm doing okay so, so I, got, I got what? I got, I got work, I got, I got my kids sports, I got fantasy football, I got shopping, I got to rest because I work real hard. All these built in excuses over our time Here's the second one, I've got more important things to do. It leads from the, from the first to the second, which is the reality is, the excuse is, is that he's not the priority in your life. Again, they all begin making excuses. You can see in our texts that, that are there. All three had already said yes, but when the time came to go to the party, what they were saying is, this isn't my priority. Something else is more important. We make the same excuse, don't we? 
of why our relationship with God isn't our number one priority. See, the first guy's priority was his possessions. It was the land that he had. And the second guy with the oxen, it was his profession. Our profession and our work becomes our priority. And we, and we say it in a noble way of why, because we want to prepare for our family, we want to prepare for our future, we want, we want to have a, a comfortable life. The, th- the third one was his family. My priority is my family, it's my bride, it's my wife. And we say that all the time, my wife or my husband or my kids, they're my priority. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having and wanting to be successful in your career and your job. There's nothing wrong with making your wife, your husband, your children, your priority. But they can't supersede the priority. The priority. Your relationship with the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the God of the universe, who loved you so much that he sent Jesus, so that you can have a relationship and you don't have time? You put them on a list of, of, of 15 other things, and he's not where he needs to be, which is number one in your life. The third excuse is that I don't want to hand out. Many of us have heard this phrase, nothing is free. Anybody hear, everybody heard that? Anybody use that? Nothing's free. What's the catch? You know, I get, I get all kinds of nice solicited phone calls where they, people want to give me things all the time. Yeah. And it's like, what's the catch? And we're programmed to say, what's the catch? Because that's our mindset. There must be something to this invitation. There must be something that I, that I need to do. There must be something that I'm not recognizing that's going to catch me in the end. Tim Keller writes, the educated, it's going to come up on the screen, the educated and influential and the powerful people in every society find every other religion except Christianity more palatable because Christianity, unlike the other religion, is the only one that says that you're a wicked sinner. You can do nothing to save yourself. Jesus Christ had to die a bloody death to pay the penalty of your sins so God the Father could adopt you freely by what? His grace. Every other religion says, there, here's what you gotta do. Live a good life, live a decent life, live a life of compassion. That's what's important. It's not the invitation that's gonna get you in. If you think you gotta do something, Jewish religious leaders believed that, the seat, that their seat at the table was already secure. This is why Jesus is rocking their world with this parable. They said, man, I live a good life. I've kept the law, or so they believe. But they were missing the relationship and the invitation from the Messiah. An invitation to the great, to the great banquet has nothing to do, and I want you to catch this, It has nothing to do with how good you are. Because I don't know many of you, and I can say that you're not good enough. I know me very well, I'm not good enough. But it's because of the grace, and because of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, 
that I can have relationship with him. The message puts it this way in Ephesians 2.8. It says, Save, saving is all his idea. I love the message paraphrase sometimes because it just says it so simply. It's all his idea. It's all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from the start to finish. We don't play a major role because if we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we had done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. Here's the last excuse. I don't want to be associated with those people. He says, finally, he says, go, go out quickly to the streets and alleys in, alleys in the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Do you realize that those are the people that this group that was at the table did not want to be intermingled with? They did not want them at the dinner table. I can't, I can't fathom that mind of thinking that there are certain people that you're like, no, I'd rather you be outside. I don't care how hungry you are. I don't care, you know, when the last meal. I don't care, you know, when the last shower you took. I don't care. You need to stay out there. Jesus teaches us that God, in his grace, is inclusive of all people. The down and outers, as well as the able-bodied, the wealthy, as well as the poor, and so here in Northwest Fresno, it means that God isn't excluding the mom on meth. You may be judging her. But she's just as welcomed into relationship as you and I. How about the womanizing husband? Yeah, he may be a jerk. Definitely a lousy husband. But God loves him just as much as he loves you. How about that veteran with severe PTSD? That struggling on the, on the street corner, the one that we, well, maybe we see at the gas station and our, our, we get a little tighter and we get a little stressed because they have some mental illness. God loves them. And the invitation is for them just as much as it is for me or you. Galatians 3.28 says we are no longer Jews or Greeks or slaves or free men or even merely men or women, but we are all the same. We are Christians. We are one in Christ Jesus. Three way forward, okay? Three very simple. You're gonna be like, yeah, you're not a brainiac. That's okay. Because sometimes I like just to dumb things down so that I get them, okay? Here's your first one. The way forward is, here's your application, is that you quit making excuses, we all have them. Why we don't have time, why we're too busy, what's going on, I'm too bad, I'm too, I've done, you don't know my past, I gotta wait till I get it cleaned up, I gotta, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. Stop making excuses. It's not about that. It's about having a relationship. I believe that's why he brought you here this morning. Some of us have refused this invitation over and over, and we're just punching a card by saying, look, church attendance, I'm here. Church attendance, I'm here. And God's saying, I don't want your attendance. I want your heart. I want your life. 
I want that thing that you've been holding back from me. That secret, that part of your life that you think no one knows about, I know about it very well. And I want you. Just how you are. The second thing, start getting comfortable with everyone. My heart breaks as, as I was working on the message for this point right here because Jesus in the Great Commission says, go into all the world making disciples. That's racist. That's, that's Hispanics and Mongs and Punjabis and Africans. It's all the world and all people. We're so divisive. I'm not just talking about race, but get comfortable with liberals and conservatives. Get comfortable with vaxxers and non-vaxxers. I'm telling you, you're going to be so shocked when you're sitting at the table in the feast of heaven and you look across and you see, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were going to be here. (laughs) Because they're nothing like you. And they're probably thinking the same thing. Because it's not about our political beliefs. It's not about what we think about, about the vaccine. It's not about what we think about the government. It's not what uh, our race is. It doesn't matter where we're from and our heritage and how much money we... And none of that matters. We are such a diverse and divided people. And the church is just as bad as the rest of the world. Matthew 22 on your outline, you see, they ask, what's the greatest commandment? And so we all know the greatest commandment. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind. What's the second? He says, just as equally that you love your neighbor as yourself. Many of us can say, yeah, I got the first one down, and I understand the second one. But you don't know my neighbor. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't act like me. Everything about them as opposed to everything that I am for. God's saying love your neighbor as yourself. That's a commandment. He didn't say go out and find the people that are just like you, somebody that you agree with. We all have opinions. We all think our thinking is right. And here's my problem, and here's what breaks my heart, is we believe that when I don't agree with you, it means that I can't be your friend. I got lots of friends that I don't agree with. I got lots of people that I, that, that, that I will tell them to their face, men, I love you. I think that you're a total idiot. I think the choices that you're making are wrong. I think your lifestyle does not line up with what you say you believe, but I love you. That's what we're called to do. Here's the last one, is that we receive the handout of amazing grace. Again, we're receiving a handout that can only come from the one who, who has shed blood to give it to us in his death, burial, and resurrection. Again, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. My question is, have you received the amazing grace that comes in the form of salvation? Have you accepted that invitation? 
The invitation is, is going out. Where Jesus is saying, open the door of your heart and I'll come in. I reserved a place at the table just for you. Won't you come? He's prepared everything. He's done everything. You don't have to get anything cleaned up. You don't have to wash up. You don't have to throw all the junk out of it. He said, just come as you are. So we need to stop making excuses and stop holding back. On your chairs, you each should have our communion elements. What a great weekend to conclude with this story, this parable, as we have a baptism Sunday, a great picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and we receive communion together. In which in a time of communion, which we say that because of what he did with his broken body, because of his shed blood, he did that for me. He knew how jacked up you were going to be long before you became jacked up. And yet he still willingly laid down his life. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For wherever, whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want you to listen to the words of the song as you have your own moment of communion alone with Jesus. Bow with me in prayer. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for your son, Jesus, and his death, his burial, and his resurrection so that we can come without excuses, giving our life wholly and freely. God, you give us unconditional love. You give us grace. You give us mercy. And all you ask is that we open our, our hearts and our lives. And so if there's anyone here, whether it's in this room, whether, whether it's, it's online, whether it's in Kerman, God, you know where we're at. I would pray that if we don't know you personally, today is a day that we can say, come on in. I've made a mess of my life. It's time for me to surrender and turn it over to you. God, thank you for the series. Thank you for this time of communion in which we can remember your broken body, your shed blood that was given for me. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Listen to the words.